How can we as healthcare practitioners move from just providing disease management to providing true healthcare? That is the question, and this is the answer. Welcome to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast that helps you grow your practice and expand your skills as a practitioner. I'm Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Reinvent Healthcare. I'm Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo, and I am passionately committed to helping people all around the globe to have the best health and the best life possible. And my mission and my passion stems from wanting to get health practitioners on board with true healthcare, with really getting to the root cause. And that's why you're here. So if you're struggling with or have patients that are struggling with depression or anxiety, and you want practical strategies to help overcome these, today's episode is perfect for you. I am so thrilled to have here as our guest, Dr. Ben Lynch. He's the best-selling author of Dirty Genes, and he's the president of Seeking Health. He's a company that educates people. He's passionate about educating people to get to the root cause like we're doing, but really to understand genetics and how that plays into people's diet and lifestyle choices and the concept of nutrigenomics. And I first started studying with Dr. Ben, oh, probably, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago when he had his first in-person course on genetics, and he just blew me away. And I love the research that he's been doing, and I love where he's going with this. And I also want to just say, I love his attitude that you can't just slap a supplement onto a genetic imbalance. And we'll talk a little bit about that as well. So Dr. Ben, welcome. Awesome to be here. Good to see you again. I'm super excited to have you here and to talk about serotonin. (laughs) We're in a world where so many people are depressed and so many people are on antidepressants. I was looking up stats and I saw anywhere from like 10 to 15% of the population is actually on antidepressant medications. We need to do something about this, I believe. And many of them are SSRIs, which is what we're going to be talking about today, which is serotonin, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. So we're going to talk about all things serotonin today and the genetics that play into that. And again, also hopefully what we can do about that as practitioners. Tell me a little bit more. Why do you think, first of all, do you think depression is actually a genetic disease or is it something else? First of all, we have to define what depression is, right? Mm -hmm. There's degrees of depression and there are all sorts of different types of depression and drug companies love to label different things so they can prescribe certain drugs for, for those things. But at the end of the day, depression is lack of motivation and lack of feeling happy and and lack of just general good spirits. And so genetics do play a role for sure in depression. However, to say that you're depressed because of your genetics, no, I don't think so. And I don't want to say I know so because there's always things that it was like, whoa, I didn't know that. But when I read a research paper years ago that looked at the genetic susceptibility to depression, there was this huge, I forget what they call it, but you have a center and then outside of that center, there's associations Mm. with one gene. So there's a gene in the center. There's associations with depression that are closely related to that central gene that's highly related to depression. And you balloon out, they're still related and you blew it again and again and again. And there's a specific term for those diagrams, but I don't remember what it is. But I want to ask you, what gene do you think was central to depression? 
Um, that's a good question. MTHFR? Yeah. Nope. That was no. closely related. That was really close to the center, but it wasn't center. Okay. One more guess. Tell us. Okay. One, one more, more guess. guess. COMT? Nope. That's real again, really close. Okay. TNF alpha. Oh. Inflammation, Inflammation was the most central aspect out of all the genes in a human genome, according to this research paper that looked at which genes are associated with depression. TNF alpha was number one. MAO-A, COMT, MTHFR, they were all right there along with other ones. And I was just like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. It does. And inflammation is an epidemic right now, right? And inflammation is at the heart of just about every disease we can think of. Right. And why not depression? And if you look at tryptophan metabolism, so tryptophan feeds into making 5-HTP, which then feeds into making serotonin. But that's one direction, as I most likely showed you years ago in, in my conferences, tryptophan can also go a different direction, and that's towards what's called the kynurenin pathway, which is the immune system. And it makes sense that inflammation is at the heart of depression because tryptophan gets depleted significantly through inflammatory processes. And at the end of the day, when you're sick, you know your body's primary function is to get over being sick. So it's going to focus on the immune system, which is what the tryptophan gets used for through the kynurenin pathway. It doesn't care if you're happy or not. That's not going to increase survival. Right, right. So serotonin is kind of a lower priority. That is fascinating. And I'm really kind of glad to hear that because what it does is it gives us more tools. We know how to manage inflammation, I think, much better than we know how to manage depression because pharmaceuticals don't necessarily work. I've seen many a patient, and I'm sure you have, who has been on SSRIs, Prozac, or Zen, whatever, bunches of them now. Prozac was probably the first one. And they've been on them and they just keep increasing their doses. And then they get to a point where it's like, well, that's not working too well anymore. Let's add another one in and another one in. And then we step in and we help them with managing their diet. I remember one person who, okay, we're going to go through this slowly, but start with going off gluten and come back and let's talk. She comes back in a month after going off gluten and tells me that not only is her depression better, they wanted her to go on extra medication. She cut her medication in half just by going off gluten. And we know gluten <laughs> creates inflammation. There's just so much here. So we've got this and you mentioned serotonin, right? Serotonin and how it's created, but let's talk about reuptake. Because there's things that affect the synthesis of serotonin. There's things that affect the reuptake of serotonin. So just give our listeners a little bit of a refresher on the whole uptake mechanism and how we can identify people who are at a risk of depression based on their genes. TNF-alpha surely is a biggie. And if you have TNF-alpha, you get much more prone to not just depression, but a whole lot of other inflammatory diseases, right? Yeah. So when you reuptake serotonin, you're pulling it out of the area where it's active. You're pulling it out of the synapse. And so if you're taking an SSRI, then you are by design ideally trying to keep serotonin within the synapse for the serotonin to make a signal and bind to a receptor. The problem with that is that you are assuming that there's any serotonin being produced in that individual's brain to begin with. Now, of course, there probably is some serotonin being synthesized, but A, how much? And then B is how are their transport proteins? Are they actually being able to deliver the serotonin to the synapse? And then the other one is 
how fast is their serotonin being broken down? So MAO-A is a primary gene which breaks down serotonin. And so if you just take an SSRI and you are not addressing the synthesis and the transport and the slowing the breakdown of serotonin, then you're not helping the patient very much, which is most likely why SSRIs aren't helping in the first place because these other systems are problematic and the inflammation hasn't been addressed. I don't know all the epigenetics of serotonin reuptake and how that works. I'm looking now at my pathway, <laughs> which I designed some time ago, and serotonin, the higher your serotonin levels are, the faster you reuptake it, which also makes sense. The more serotonin you have, the more the body's going to say, you got too much, I'm going to pull some out mm. because having too much isn't good. Oh, and I have other things here. So the higher you are in elevation, okay. the slower the uptake of serotonin you are, which also makes sense because you can get elevation sickness. So you get elevation sickness, and what is that? And, and I don't know all the drugs that they use, but it'd be interesting to see that. Uh, but high elevation slows the reuptake and inflammation also slows the reuptake to try to keep some serotonin in your brain because probably more tryptophan is being depleted. And then you got the serotonin receptors too. And not enough people talk about the receptors of serotonin. If your receptors are not working, you could have, let's say that the production of serotonin is amazing. The reuptake is not very fast and the breakdown is also slow. It's all perfect. You got lots of serotonin in the synapse, but now it has to bind to a receptor in order for it to function. If there is no binding of serotonin to a receptor, there is no effect. And what binds to receptors, that is a huge problem that slows things down. Pesticides. I was just going to say toxins, toxins. right? Pesticides. Yep. That's yeah. a, it's a big one. And there's an herb which is very supportive it's a natural SSRI and it's saffron. Saffron is a natural SSRI saffron, really? and it's got lots of research behind it. And you only need about 30 milligrams of a saffron extract to by design get an effect. Wow. Whoa. Who would have known? It's one of the most expensive spices out there though, right? It's not as commonplace as like, you know, ginger. It is. And it is an expensive ingredient, but it's quite effective. And what if you give saffron and you put it on rice? That's a great question. Um, the extract that we use it's called saffron side and i don't i don't remember if it's a it says saffron extract so i don't know if it's a whole plant extract or you know i don't think it's a single component of saffron i think it's a whole plant extract but if you look at saffron side, you can read the research papers on that. Okay, great. I'd love to do that. So let's get back to what are the genetic factors? And of course, we want to address how do you mitigate the potential impact of the serotonin synthesis and the reuptake and, and the receptors. And I just want to add in, I talk about receptors all the time when it comes to hormones. And it's one of my pet peeves that people aren't talking about thyroid hormone resistance or progesterone resistance and all the other hormone resistances. And it never occurred to me to think about neurotransmitter, mm -hmm. the receptor resistance. Yeah, and it's, it's really important. Anytime you take a supplement like a neurotropic, like a brain-enhancing substance to support serotonin or acetylcholine or dopamine, it's best to what I call pulse it. You can't be taking these things every single day because you could be down-regulating the receptors. So you use them on the days where you really need it. So if you are you know, having depression or your patients are having depression, by all means, they should take a serotonin-supportive supplement or their medications or change their diet or whatever they need to do. But on the days where they're happy and in good spirits, they shouldn't touch that stuff. And that's the problem with medications is they just are on them all the time. And so now you're just getting blunted response. So now you think, okay, now I need to give them more. Well, now you're going to blunt the receptors even more. And you're thinking as a practitioner, you're thinking, oh my God, that explains so much. That explains my patient, Sandy, who has been keeping increasing their dosage and not to no effect. 
And there are a number of genes that my team has researched that slow the synthesis of serotonin. So my wife, she lets me use her strategy report often. She has a, the TPH2 <laughs> enzyme, which is slower. And so she, this is the TPHG703T uh, variant and has reduced serotonin transmission and activation. And this is the gene that's extremely important that it's the rate determining step of serotonin. At this step, you really should have it working. And if it doesn't, that's where then 5-HTP can come into play. And 5-HTP bypasses this slowdown. And that's why some people do really well with 5-HTP. Oh, a lot of people do, yeah. Okay, so that's interesting to know. If the person has that genetic variant, if there's a slowdown, if you give a lot more of that substrate, then it moves the pathway down. It doesn't fix the genetic balance with that yeah, enzyme. Yeah, for CPH2, the, uh, the substrate is tryptophan. The end product is a 5-HTP. So you could bypass it with 5-HTP, and uh, which is handy because we have that readily available. But if it's genetically slower, so in, like in my wife, she does very well with serotonin support on her days where she's blue. Yeah, it really pulls her out. Vitamin D supports also the activity of the TPH enzyme. So low vitamin D, when you have seasonal affective disorder in your patients, then you're like, oh yeah, it's fall, it's winter, their vitamin D levels are getting lower. That's when a lot of my patients tend to get depressed. Well, it makes sense if you look at it epigenetically, you do see that vitamin D does support the synthesis of 5-HTP through that TPH enzyme. So it's in that step between tryptophan and 5-HTP. Correct. That the D is a cofactor. Okay. Well, that's good to know. You know, and it also explains that genetic variant. Yeah. Some people do really well on tryptophan and some people don't do anything on tryptophan and you have to give them 5-HTP. So looking at the genetic report can give you an idea of if you are going to supplement this person, do you need to go 5-HTP, which I believe is a little bit more pricey or harder to get. Well, it's pricey, you know, it's not really harder to get than straight tryptophan. Is that right? I used to offer tryptophan years ago and I stopped because it didn't sell. A lot of people still have fear over tryptophan because of the Japanese rice issue years and years and years ago. 5-HTP doesn't have that issue, but tryptophan was more supportive of also immune system, which people didn't understand. So I just stopped selling. It didn't work anyway. And what's also important is you can't just stop and say, okay, well, this individual's TPH2 enzyme is slower, so I'm going to give them a bunch of 5-HTP. Well, initially they may do very well, but there's another gene you should be aware of, and that's MAO-A. Is your patient's MAO-A enzyme tend to be slower or does it tend to be faster? And if it tends to be slower and you've given them 50 milligrams of 5-HTP and your patient's doing really well at 50 milligrams, and then they're like, oh, I feel good at you know one capsule of 50, I'm going to take two. And now they're irritable and cranky and they can't fall asleep and they're mad at people and have headaches and you don't know what's going on. And they come to your clinic and it's like, I'm taking the 5-HTP and I feel worse now, doc. I felt great. Now I feel worse. If you understand their genetics and you look at things like, oh, you have a slow MAO-A or you're deficient in riboflavin, that will increase your ability to break down serotonin. And so by understanding your patient's genetics and their epigenetics, then you can explain, it's like, well, did you take the one capsule like I instructed you? Uh, well, you know, yeah. It's like, did you take more than that? Yeah. Well, you probably shouldn't do that because you have a slow MAO-A and your ability to reduce serotonin out of your brain is, is a lot slower. And if you show them that, their compliance goes way up. If they understand, it's like, genetically, my ability to produce serotonin is less but my ability to get rid of it is also less that I need to find, be very careful when I am taking 5-HTP 
And then the opposite is also true. If I'm taking 5-HTP and I feel good for maybe an hour or two, and then I'm depressed again, but I have a fast MAO-A and I've been taking riboflavin as well, now I'm getting depressed faster. If I take another 5-HTP, it boosts me out. So one patient might do really well at 50 milligrams of 5-HTP, and you might have another patient who needs literally take one capsule of 5-HTP four times a day and avoid riboflavin. This is just really reinforcing the importance of looking at the whole picture. You can't just look at the genes. You have to look at the symptomatology. You have to look at sometimes lab testing that we can't just like, oh, let's do a genetic report and give you a supplement. Yeah, and and then being done and I'll see you in six weeks. Instead, you could say, look, this 5-HTP supplement, what it does is it supports your serotonin. This is what you should be feeling. You should be feeling a better mood. You should be sleeping uh, more throughout the night because you need serotonin to convert to melatonin. And so if you're falling asleep at night, but your patient isn't staying asleep, you could also give them 5-HT before bed. And then let's say they fall asleep and they stay asleep for an hour or two, but they wake up at one in the morning. What do you do there? There's extended release 5-HTP that you can give them, which is actually 200 milligrams, which is a slow trickle throughout their body at night. And it really makes a big difference. But informing your patient what the supplement does and what their genes do and the epigenetic factors that are involved, it really empowers them to make a decision. Do I need to take this today? This is how I feel according to what my doctor shared with me. Yes. Do I, and the next day it comes along, do I need to take this today? Well, actually, no, I feel good today. I don't need to take it. That really reduces a lot of headaches and phone calls that are emergent to your clinic. Absolutely. I love that because that's what I've found. I've been doing this kind of work for over 30 years. And what I find is when I explain things to people and they understand when you eat this, this is what it does to your inflammation. When you do this or take that, this is what it does to your brain chemistry. They go, oh, I get it. It's not just here, here's your prescription whether it's pharmaceutical or supplement, it's still like, here's your prescription, go do it. When they understand, they really do it. And the other thing I find, which is why I'm so fascinated and love working with genetics, is that when people see that they have a genetic tendency to a certain condition, mood, et cetera, they are so much more likely to do what you were going to tell them to do anyway, even if you didn't look at their genes, they go, oh, I guess I better do that. Or I'm going to end up with Parkinson's like my mother or whatever. So I find empowering people, that's a biggie. And that's what we teach in our practitioner trainings is we want to empower people to decide what they need when to the extent like like you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's amazing the, the rate of compliance when you present them their genetics. The problem with most genetic reports that are out there, if you have this genetic variant, you take this supplement. And I find that as a major disservice because they lack the epigenetic controls of vitamin D, which you could say is a supplement, but it's also get your butt out in the sunlight and eat more cold water fish or, or what have you. And then there's smoking and caffeine and stressors and then pesticides like we talked about. So let's say they're taking the 5-HTP and they're like, doc, it doesn't work. I was like, well, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, I, we had a big bunch of ants. And so I sprayed pesticides all over the place. And obviously they're not going to say that, but you need to do your, your sleuthing and, and ask what's going on in terms of pesticide use and instruct them and say, look, pesticides block your ability to bind serotonin to your brain. <laughs> so you should probably uh, not do that. Yeah. I love that. That's a great way to say it too. 
It just blocks her ability to bind serotonin. We already talked about that because serotonin might be causing your, or is causing your depression if you've already determined that. So this is cool. You know, so we talked about the synthesis. We talked about the TPH2, tryptophan hydroxylase. So the TPH2, and then we talked about MAO-A and how that comes into play there faster or slower, and that's going to affect our supplementation doses or recommendations for 5-HTP. Whereas that the tryptophan hydroxylase is going to affect whether we're going to recommend tryptophan mm-hmm. versus right. 5-HTP or whatnot. And then we talked about the uptake right. or the receptors, and we talked about pesticides blocking that. Are there other things that block it? And are there other things that can help improve the function of those? There are. The more serotonin you have in the brain, the more likelihood it's to bind to a receptor. So that's kind of obvious. But again, remember, the more serotonin you have in your synapse, the more likely it is that you're going to reabsorb it and pull it out of your brain. So there's a sweet spot there. Caffeine and smoking sensitize your receptors to serotonin. If your patients are smokers, and they are drinking caffeine, those two substances support the sensitivity of serotonin binding to their brain, which then reinforces them wanting to drink more caffeine and smoke more cigarettes. So if you show them that, you say, look, you know, if we support you with 5-HTP, we eliminate your pesticide use, we can probably wean down your smoking habits and your caffeine addiction. But you have to do it slowly because if you do it too quickly, they're going to get depressed. How long? What do you consider slowly? I think every patient is going to be different. There are genes involved with caffeine. There's cytochrome P450s that some people are fast metabolizers and some are slower. And then there's also adenosine receptors. So caffeine blocks the adenosine receptors in your brain. That's how it works. Caffeine doesn't actually give you energy by caffeine itself. Caffeine actually blocks the compound, which actually makes you sleepy. So that's how that works. And so everyone's different. I don't have a time frame there. There's another gene which we should talk about, and that's the serotonin transporter. So again, you need to transport serotonin. It's actually carried. So this gene is a solute carrier family 18, also known as VMAT1, which I don't know what it stands for. There's a variant when homozygous, and it's common. That increases the transport of serotonin by 370%. Yeah. Whoa. So massive. massive. So, you know, the more genetic reports that you look at, the more you start seeing patterns. And I don't really want to say compensations, but it's kind of a compensation. So I will say something short about genetic variations. Most genetic variations that are affecting serotonin that we're talking about have been selected for and passed down and we've inherited. So there are biological advantages to having these for some reason. It all depends on a myriad of reasons, but there's some biological advantage because they're in us today, right? We would have been dead had there been not any biological advantage. Um, so they've been passed along with us. But I see, remember my wife has a reduced ability to uh, synthesize serotonin through the TPH2 enzyme. She has a intermediate speed to eliminate serotonin. She has reduced serotonin sensitivity on a receptor, but she has a heightened ability to transport serotonin. There's things that goes back to what I was saying, compensatory genetic variations, you know, that kind of balance and and offset because if my wife was slow to produce, fast to eliminate, slow to bind the receptor and slow to transport, well, then she'd probably be extremely depressed. And uh, you might actually find that in, in some individuals. And they were probably really struggling, especially if they're inflamed. So much to it. Um, so we talked about those genes. Are there specific genes that are affected or that affect reuptake? 
That's where all the drugs are targeting them. There are. So there's the SLC6A4 is the gene that works on serotonin reuptake. We do not report in my genetic report strategy. We do not report that. And I don't remember why offhand. It's either because it was a pharmacogenetic variation and pharmacokinetic genetic variations are highly regulated by the FDA. If I report a genetic variation that is a drug targeting gene, then I could get flagged and, and say you're reporting something that's significant, which makes sense. So I'm sure there's research on the SLC6A4 and you could look it up, but I don't, I don't have that uh, information. In your opinion, I don't know if you've done any research on this, but how did we come from a pharmaceutical standpoint to focus on reuptake when there's so much more to serotonin metabolism? Uh, I think it's very simple. I think the, the drug companies either by accident, which is a lot of drugs are used and they find a benefit. I mean, these drugs to BP, bisphenol A was actually a, supposed to be a drug to do something with estrogen in women from what I remember. They ended up not using it and now it's just everywhere. I think that drug companies got a result through SSRIs and they're like, oh, well, let's just block the reuptake and we're good. And we're um, good. Stop there. You know, and we'll just stop there. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, why invest more dollars if they're getting a result? And it's unfortunate that they don't look at the nutrition because when you look at the nutrition and vitamin D and it's significant importance of the tryptophan hydroxylase gene, and then you have things like daylight and vitamin B6, which is heavily, uh, becomes a problem in women on birth control, you know, B6 deficiency in birth control is a problem. And so if you have a woman who's on birth control and she's depressed and uh, she has this genetic variation and she has low vitamin D levels, you could give her 5-HTP, but if she's deficient in B6, she's not going to convert that 5-HTP to serotonin. Remember, 5-HTP doesn't equal serotonin. 5-HTP is a substrate to make serotonin and you need the dopamine decarboxylase gene to convert 5-HTP to serotonin, and that requires vitamin B6. Doesn't it also require C and copper? It could, yeah, but I, on my diagram, I don't have that. It does sound vaguely familiar. It's food and supplementation versus a drug. And of course, food and supplementation are not patentable. <laughs> so, no, no. you know, like a drug which might cost $150 a month to take, these things are pennies to the dollar to take, and yeah. they're actually fixing a problem versus supporting just something that I think creates more of a problem and creates that dependency, right? Well, it is a total dependency because what happens if your patient stops taking an SSRI? They're going to get depressed again. There's no long-term benefit to that because all it's doing is it's forcing the prevention of the reuptake. That's it. It's not supporting the synthesis or the binding or anything. And then you could say, well, saffron isn't either. Well, you're right. By just taking saffron, you're not supporting the patient's long-term gains either. There's some that they call them green allopaths in school, which I, I never liked that term, but they're essentially right. If you're not a fan of an SSRI, you don't just switch to using saffron because you're still not treating the underlying cause of the patient. You have to look at the whole picture. When I formulate supplements, I look at the synthesis the transport, the binding, the reuptake, and the breakdown. I look at all five of those, and I look at all the enzymes that are related to it, and I look at all the epigenetic factors, and I look at all the nutrients and cofactors associated with it, and I think, okay, how can I put all these things into one formula and make it work? And so that's what I do when I make you know, our serotonin nutrients, our dopamine nutrients, and our optimal focus, which is 
for acetylcholine. So I, I look at all those things because acetylcholine is a separate subject, but acetylcholine is rapidly degraded in the brain through inflammation as well. So if you just give a patient choline to support their acetylcholine, they might get a benefit for literally in only half an hour to an hour, and then they're already out of touch again. Their memory sucks, their focus sucks, yeah, because the breakdown's too fast. You know, as practitioners, yeah, I love that. Well, I, I know you don't like that term, but I, I use that term when I'm saying, look, I went to this functional medicine, or I went to this naturopath, and they just did a bunch of tests and hand me a bunch of supplements. And, and looking for this, for that, we get a lot of people who come to us and say, you know, so what herbs do I give people for hot flashes? What herbs do I give people for anxiety? And I'm like, it doesn't work that way. It's mm -hmm. not a this for that. It's not allopathic. We have to figure out what the imbalances are, figure out what's causing the imbalances. If there's no genetic variant in there that's underlying, then most of it's going to come from the lifestyle. And we don't have to, oh, just give them, here's some this and here's, oh, let's just go on Dr. Ben's serotonin nutrients instead of taking your SSRI. It doesn't work like that. But the other question I have about you, if you're formulating these into one package, right? And how do we handle it when, you know, some people have different areas that we're addressing. We may be addressing all of that, but they're different with the dosing. There's the set dosing, obviously, if you're creating a, a, a capsule. Yeah, for sure. I tend to formulate pretty high potency things and I've learned that it backfires. So I've been pulling back and I've been working on Ben, you don't need to, you know, send in the, the full army, <laughs> just right. reduce, reduce, reduce the potency. The thing is when you read the research on various nutraceuticals like saffron being effective at a dose at 30 milligrams, you want to say, okay, I'm utilizing the research dose at 30 milligrams in my supplement. You say, okay, I've done that. And then the research dose of say 5-HTP is 50 milligrams. Okay. I've done that too. The research dose of B6 is X, I use that. And then there's other ones as well. So you want to use the researched amounts, but then there's a synergy that happens. And so if you utilize all the nutrients at the same time, then the effect is very significant and very powerful. So while I'm only using 50 milligrams of 5-HTP and I'm only using 30 and just, you know, maybe five or 10 of B6, and I also have curcumin in there for the inflammatory part. It still packs a, a significant punch and you literally feel it within 10 minutes of taking it. It boggles my mind how fast it works. And the first thing you notice is brightness. Everything, the colors are brighter, which makes sense. If you, if you talk to people who struggle with migraines, the first thing they see is like, oh my God, everything is brighter. And that's because with migraines, initially there's low serotonin, which triggers a migraine. And then when the migraine is happening, it's actually high serotonin. The body compensates. So low serotonin triggers a migraine. High serotonin is involved in the migraine. Basically, to answer your question, you have to inform your patient, this is what the supplement's doing, and this is what you're going to notice. You're going to notice increased brightness and increased happier moods, and that's where you want to be. If you're starting to experience nausea or headache, it's too much. It's also difficult because they can be having a headache from low serotonin too. It's a little bit tough and it's the patient really at the end of the day has to learn where their sweet spot is. And they also need to learn that on the days that they're happy, they don't touch it. They just leave it alone. And it, you can get in a really stressful situation. Maybe you got pulled over by a policeman 
or you know, your cat died or you got yelled at by your partner, something happened. And now you just instantly just got depressed because acute stress can wipe out your serotonin too. And so in that moment, you could take a serotonin nutrients and you could, it could lift you out. It's, it's more, again, going back to informing and teaching your patient. Right. Teaching them to be empowered. Last question on that, because I'm a big fan of the minimum effective dose. What is the minimum effective dose? But when we're dealing with a 90 pound woman or a 250 pound weightlifter, they're going to have very different minimal effective doses. You know, how do you handle that? And I, you know, I don't formulate. I like to get individual nutrients like this powder and this powder and this powder and just have them play with it until they find the right dose, which could take a lot longer, right? If if they take your serotonin nutrients and they get immediate results, they're not going to be patient with that other. So you you take the serotonin nutrients and you can open the capsule and you can just use a little bit. So that's one route. And uh, even if you're a, a 90 pound woman, you could still have significant nutrient deficiencies mm-hmm. and you could have significant inflammation, which then, and you could have significant underlying genetic variations. So they might need the entire whole capsule. And you could have a, you know, I'm 220 pounds and I do very well. I think this is a one capsule serving. I do well on one capsule. If I took two, it'd be a problem. And and another one is optimal focus one. That's a three capsule serving. I'm 220 pounds. I take one capsule and I'm fine. I'm good. I'm, I'm locked in. If I take three, it's too much for me. But even though that's the suggested serving size, because once again, that's, those are the researched amounts. So I I hear what you're saying. I I do like the individual nutrients as well, but I've found with especially neurotransmitters that synergy is extremely important. You need to support the production, the transport, the binding, and the reduction of the breakdown. And if you do that, the effect is, wow, it's fast and it's impressive and the compliance is is really good. Say I decide I want to try your supplement. I'm not depressed. I don't have lack of focus. I'm totally fine in that area. If I take it, will I notice some negative effects? Yes, absolutely. I want to create a tool at some point that's a spectrum. That's like a, you know, like a protractor. You got that, you know, it's shaped like this and then there's degrees. And if you have the perfect level of serotonin, it's right in the middle and you got great mood, you got great blood clotting because serotonin is involved with that, which is confusing as all get out. And then you've got bowel movements and and other things. Good libido. If you take too much serotonin, you're going to get nauseated. You're going to get pukey. You're going to have loose stools. Uh, Your libido is going to go to hell and you're probably going to get a headache. And it's good to know those things. And you inform your patient, look, you take serotonin nutrients and you have a great mood. Your head feels fine. Your eyes are bright. Your bowel movements are fantastic. Perfect. That's where we want you. In the event you're taking it, now you're, you're experiencing loose stools, you're getting headaches, uh, your libido is kind of, eh, you know, you're taking too much and back off. Maybe you don't need a whole capsule, maybe you need half. So try half. And they're gonna say, well, when do I need it? Well, you take it when you're depressed and you take it when you fall asleep, but you wake up way too early in the evening. You say you fall asleep at 10 o'clock at night and you wake up at midnight or one o'clock, taking it before bed would be a good time. Constipated, probably should take it. If you're struggling from migraines, you probably should take it before, not during. During would be bad. Let's say they got confused and they took the serotonin nutrients when they had a headache, but it was a headache that was involved with high serotonin. Lithium blocks the binding of serotonin to, I think, the transport proteins or the receptors. So it's good to know an antidote. I call it an antidote. So by giving lithium orotate, five milligrams to someone who's been giving serotonin nutrients, you can antidote some of these side effects. 
kind of like niacin is to the methyl group. Exactly. You know, the opposite is also true. If you work with a patient who's having a panic attack and you give them lithium orotate and you pull them out and they get all happy and they're like, wow, that really helped me a lot. And when something really helps a patient, what do they do? They take it again. They take more. Lithium really helped me. They take lithium when they're fine. They took it when they had a panic attack. They felt great. Now the next day they feel great and they take lithium because it made them feel great. Well, they forgot that they had a panic attack. Now they're depressed. (laughs) Then you say, no, you don't take lithium when you're fine. You take lithium when you're panicking and anxious and stressed out. Now you take the serotonin nutrients to pull you out. It's fun to teach patients like that because they feel like, yeah, I got this. I'm empowered. And they don't have to think like I'm buying this bottle of supplements. I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life and the cost and the inconvenience. And they go, I'm going to take it when I need it. And I know how to tell when I need it. And it's very important that they take it when they need it, because if they take it when they don't need it, then it's a problem. And oftentimes doctors, we all get stuck. If a supplement has helped a patient, that's where we leave it. Methylfolate really helped you. Your homocysteine levels are good. Your mood's good. Your cognitive abilities are good. But I don't know what your headaches are associated with, you know, your irritability, your tingling, your muscles, your nerve pain, your runny nose. I don't know what that's from. We just figure that out. Well, it's too much methylfolate. Mm. So you have to understand that a, a nutrient can be in excess. And so we're very quick to prescribe another supplement when it's already the existing supplement that's causing the problems. They're just taking it too much or incorrect timing. Taking too much or too frequently or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that brings me to another point, talking about methylfolate. Can you get an excess of methylfolate by eating lots and lots of greens? Apparently not. There's and I don't know the mechanism behind that. I'm assuming it's the the folate uh, transport proteins that are binding the folate coming out of the intestine and, and bringing it into the body. And then somehow they, there's a feedback mechanism that tells the body to stop bringing that folate in. We have enough. Just like in the, in the body, if you have sufficient serotonin levels, uh, there's a feedback mechanism that tells the dopamine decarboxylase gene to stop making more serotonin. There's feedback inhibitors all over the place. So I'm assuming that that's going to be the same way in in terms of- Plus it's dose dependent too, right? Because you're not going to, well, you get a lot in food, but it's like, it's all concentrated into this one little capsule. Yeah. And then how good is the digestion? How well are they chewing? How good is their, their villi and their intestine? So yeah, there's multiple factors there. Cool. Well, this has been amazing. Is there anything you want to leave people with as a parting message? If there was moments where you felt overwhelmed in this, (laughs) that's totally okay. I've given myself many a headache studying this stuff. So I'm happy I I passed that on to you. (laughs) (laughs) It's very tough stuff. And it's stuff that we should have learned in medical school, but we didn't. And it's exciting to learn it. And... I just encourage you just to start using it. And the more you start using it, yes, you're going to make mistakes, but a doctor, you make mistakes all the time. And at the end of the day, it's called a practice anyway. Practice makes perfect, but at the end of the day, we'll never be perfect. We're still all practicing. (laughs) We're still (laughs) practicing. Just dive in and give it a go and just start with one thing and you're going to just keep learning. So strategy is our genetic report. If you want to dive in full circles with that, and we have good videos and a whole course on how to learn. Great. It. Great. And you have, um, though, well, the dirty genes book is more, you know, for the lay population. Do you have any? Yeah, other- it's, dirty genes book is simple, but it's also still very informative. So if you want to just get your toes wet and learn about it that way, dirty genes is a great beginning. I do recommend the audible version 
Um, so you can just listen to it, but then you want to get the paperback at some point. In the, in the appendix, we have a very thorough list of laboratory analysis and tests to use. And I explain what the markers mean for various different genes. And so you learn a lot through that. That's awesome. I know you were working on it once you finished some sort of, was it a book or was it the products that you were working on when I checked in with you last fall? Yeah. So serotonin nutrients is out now. And it, it's helping a number of people. It's been well-received generally. Some people are complaining of loser stools. And uh, that is something that you need to be mindful of because serotonin is primarily in the gut, right? So it does support gut motility. Generally speaking, it's been great. And then we're working on a, a histamine report that is beyond the scope of this call. But it's we're going to be making uh, reports that are way more comprehensive in terms of certain things, but at the same time, way easier to understand. Strategy and report is as it is today is still very difficult for a lot of people, practitioners included. So we're looking for ways to make it simpler, but still keeping it accurate. That's a trick. <laughs> So the, the histamine report will be coming out for that. Awesomeness. We'll have all the links to everything on the show notes page so you guys can refer. And, you know, it's really important to study this and to do the research. And thank you for doing a lot of that for us. But we still have to understand it. It's not like you can say, oh, well, Dr. Ben Lynch said I should do this. So therefore, I'm going to do it. No, you want to understand each individual person that you're working with because it is different. I mean, we're epigenetically, genetically, we're all unique and we have slightly different approaches. It's really empowers your patient and you and your clinic because when your patient walks in and they're taking SSRI or let's say they're taking the serotonin nutrients and the patient comes in and is like, wow, doc, this is really helping me. Fantastic. That was Sally. And then Harry walks in, doc, I'm taking serotonin nutrients and this is happening. I'm feeling like this. You can know exactly what's going on and you can figure it out. Whereas before you would just kind of panic and like choose a different supplement and you're kind of guessing, but you don't let them know you're guessing. It's like, oh yeah, you should try this one. It's not really try this one. It's like, okay, well you ask a few questions and you make some adjustments and then they go home and they shoot you a quick message and like, yeah, doc, that worked. Thanks. I'm, I'm good now. It, I realized I was just taking it on days I shouldn't have, or I reduced it to half a capsule or, or what have you, or I was taking 5-HTP with it. You know, some people do that. There's like, oh yeah, I took my SSRI today and I took a serotonin nutrients. Like, whoa, don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great advice because I always say when something doesn't work, it gives us just as much information as when something does work. That's right. Right. I was on this drug and it didn't work. This drug caused me to have this. Oh, this drug worked well. If we understand the biochemistry, which is, I think, super critical for everybody to do, is to all as practitioners need to understand the biochemistry, then you can go, oh, well, that didn't work and that affects this pathway. This did work. Therefore, here's some of the interventions or things I can do. And I would be, be very mindful with the language when you're talking with your patient about something like this and say, don't apologize. So let's say you prescribe them serotonin nutrients and they come back and they're, they're like, doc, I had the worst migraines, like whatever you gave me didn't work. You're like, well, it's a, it's a, I mean, in that situation, it's like, well, I'm sorry that you had a headache, right? You don't say, I'm sorry, I gave you serotonin nutrients. Right. I'm sorry right. you experienced a headache. However, that is a useful information to know. Here's what happened. And you explain the mechanism behind it and they, they listen and they're like, okay, so that's too much serotonin. So how do we deal with this? And we work on it this way and you, you make some changes and say that's still very useful information. While it wasn't fun to go through, that information is, is a piece of the puzzle. So it's very handy to have multifaceted understanding 
of serotonin pathways and all the other pathways, because when you know that you can make the changes and you're confident in your new recommendation or your altered recommendation. I wouldn't say altered, your tweaked and improved recommendation. Yeah. I like that word tweak. I like to tweak things. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for being here and uh, appreciate your knowledge, your, your breath, your unrelenting interest in research uh, and figuring these things out because it makes it so much easier for the rest of us to just learn from you. And if you haven't already learned from Dr. Ben Lynch, I would head out to his website. Seekinghealth.com is the supplement website. And I think it's drbenlynch.com, which is your professional website. Is that right? Yes, professional website. There's some articles there. I haven't updated it. You can find me on Instagram. I'm pretty active on Instagram when I'm not shadow banned. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I I respond to a lot of comments from people. And uh, I learn a lot from DMs and and from talking with people on Instagram. And um, so it's, yeah, it's great. That's great. So thanks again. And uh, for everybody listening, thank you for listening. You're part of the new healthcare, the real healthcare, as we learn and as we grow and as we learn how these mechanisms work and we learn novel approaches to old conditions, right? We are the people that help. We're giving people hope and just stay present with it. Yeah, sometimes it gets hard to do all the research, but A lot of us have done that research, some of that research for you and are providing great education. So there's no lack of good education. So you can visit Dr. Ben Lynch's site and look at some of those courses and the videos and all that. Uh, We have inemethod.com. You'll learn more about some of the stuff that we're doing in the Institute of Nutritional Endocrinology and then keep learning and keep being passionate and apply this lifestyle, diet, nutrition, nutritional supplements, and then also the genetics and the lab testing. And with all that, you're equipped to help people as long as you understand what's going on in there, right? You understand the biochemistry. So thank you for being here. And until next time, shine on. Thanks for listening to Reinvent Healthcare. We are part of the movement to change healthcare for the better. If you liked this episode, leave a rating and a review. And for more resources to support you in growing a thriving and fulfilling practice, visit our website at inemethod.com.